You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Let me read this to you, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, Man, this is such a powerful verse. It's so incredible, but it lines up with multiple verses in the Bible. It says this, we have become his poetry, a recreated people. Uh, another translation is that, of that verse says, we are a work of art. You were created on purpose to look the way you do, to be the height the way you, do, you are, to be the color your skin is. You were created the color of your eyes, your fingerprint, the size of your feet, your hands, your head. Your, I mean, you were created the way God wanted you to be created on purpose with a purpose. He said, because we're his, we're his workmanship, we're his artistry. He said, that will fulfill the destiny. He, he recreated us and created us to fulfill a destiny, a plan, a dream. Then he says this, he has given each of us, he's given each of us a plan. Each of us have a, has a dream, individually and corporately. And when we marry and we create a family, now that's got to be a corporate dream. Otherwise, we got to dream together. It always grieves me when I run into couples that, that she has a dream and he has a dream. They're going two separate directions. Can I say something? Wives, when you marry a man, you agreed that day to be part of his dream. And husbands, when you marry a woman, you agreed that day to help her fulfill the dream that God put in her heart. That's, it. That's what you agreed to. That's what you agreed to. My father was not an, un, he was an unbeliever, but he was, he had some wisdom to him. My mom followed him around for 24 years, living all over the world in the Air Force. Germany, Iran, all over America, in Europe, in, in the Middle East. And when he retired, he looked at her. This is an unbelieving husband. Not even a, supposed to be a man of God. Didn't he, he, he didn't believe in God. But he said to her, you followed me for 24 years. I know you've always, everywhere she went, she was in banking. And he said, I know you've always wanted to be a banker and always wanted to rise up and, and become a, a vice president, president of a bank. I know that's always your dream. I'll go now where you want to go. Gosh, this is an ungodly man. My mom was so submitted. And this is how it works, ladies. She was so submitted to my dad's dream, and she worked at banks everywhere she went. She always was improving, always learning. So that when it was her turn, God dealt with her ungodly husband to fulfill her dream. But he, she dedicated that first 24 years to fulfilling his. Faithful with another man's, he'll give you your own. This is how it's supposed to work. And it's, it's vital. There's such a destiny connected to each other. Then he said this, we are, we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned, everybody say planned, dreamed, destined, purposed. All of those things mean the same thing. God had a plan, a destiny, a purpose, a dream for you, a destination for your life before you were born. And he said this, God planned and advanced our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Do you know that two things happen uh, when you, 
There's two different things that are going to happen in your life. You're going to fulfill the plan of God in your life, and you're going to end up in the right relationships in the right time doing the right thing. Or, and your life, because he determined before you were even created that for, for you to do these good things, these good works in his name. And so when you fulfill the plan of God for your life, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts all the people around you. I don't know, uh, because I was a military kid, I only met my grandparents on my mom's side twice. Never met anybody on my dad's side of the family till I was about 17. I met one person, and that was it. I only was Psalm for about an hour. So I didn't grow up with cousins and around family. I, did, I didn't know them, but I know them. I know things about them. I know on my dad's side of the family that every man was an alcoholic and that his father was extremely abusive to him and his sisters. I know his father drank away all his paycheck and my dad went to bed hungry three or four times a week since he was little. I know my dad wouldn't go hunting or fishing with me because if he didn't hunt and fish and bring home food, him, his mama, and his sisters didn't eat that day. So he hated it. He didn't want to go hunting and fishing. He was doing it for survival. He wasn't going to do it any other time. Listen, I know my grandfather, who I never met, his life touched my life. Never met him. But because he, he did not fulfill the will of God for his life and do the good things, God had a good plan for him too. He rejected it. It, it, caused, it caused negative things to happen. So it's not just when you do the right things, it's going to cause good things. When you do the bad things, it's going to cause bad things. So it's, there's no neutral. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground in this. You're either going to sow forward the, the goodness of God or you're going to sow the evil, the curse, the blessing or the curse. You're going to sow that forward. You know who I do know about that loved Jesus? I know my mom's mom loved Jesus. She talks about her all the time. I only met her twice. The first time I was real little. The second time she had dementia. So I never knew her. But I know about her that she loved Jesus. I never met my great-grandmother, and my mom said not only did her mother love Jesus, but her mom's mom loved Jesus. I never only met my grandfather one time on that side of my family, and, but this is what I know about his grandfather. I know his grandfather went down one day because they owned a bunch of property and gave the church land and then built the church that church today is still holding church. Today. Today. We have a family cemetery attached to that church. See, back then, people that had stuff, they would just give the church stuff. Now everybody wants to charge for everything. But those people back then would say, I'm going to give land to the church. I'm going to build that church. I'm going to build that church for free. And they all did it together. Didn't cost the church a dime. Most churches back then had no debt because the, it was given to them. The land was given to them. The buildings were built for them. The guy at the lumber yard gave them the lumber. The guy who built the framed it, framed it for free. 
And they sowed that. And this is what I believe. I believe, and I realized this today as I was meditating on this, that my great-great-grandfather who dedicated that, who gave our property, our family's property, and built that church that they're still holding church in, I believe the reason, one of the reasons my brother and I are blessed with churches and buildings and people is because of what my great-great-grandfather sowed. I believe that there's things that come from fulfilling the works that God calls us to do, and there's things that come from not fulfilling it. It's important. And my great-great-grandfather's not going to be written on any history books. Guys, I don't even know his name, but I know about him. I know his last name. I don't know his full name. But I know about him. Listen, in your family, you might not be written in history books. You might not be written down anywhere, anytime. Most of us aren't going to be. The over 99.9%, if not more, of people are not going to be written down in any book. But your family's going to remember. Your children's children will be told about you. What would they say? Would they say, Grandma Grandpa fulfilled the will of God for their life? That when they died, they heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you entered into heaven with joy because you did what God asked you to do, what he created you to do. Well, Pastor Troy, I've messed up. I've made so many bad decisions. Let me tell you something. The plan of God's like this, but you might have gone way out here, but I'm going to tell you something about God. You can go way out here. You can make a mess of your life. But if you'll dedicate and surrender to him, he'll bring you right. He'll, he'll take you right back over, put you right back on that road. He's more than capable. He's more than capable. And I said last week that a, that a prayer or a dream delayed is not a prayer or a dream denied. It's just delayed. And there's reasons for delay. And I started meditating on Esther, the Queen Esther who saved the Jewish people that, that she, she was a queen for three years, but before that, she was being prepared to be beautiful, not just on the outside, but on the inside. She saved her people, not because of just her physical beauty, but the king, this is an ungodly king, saw her, he saw her physical beauty, but he knew about Esther that she was beautiful on the inside. She was loyal. She was loving. She was kind. She was a faithful wife. She did all the things that make someone more beautiful. Golly, man. Oh, I'm telling you, the true beauty, when I look at my wife, not only do I think she's physically beautiful, but I see, I see beyond the five kids and all the things we've gone through and all the things her body's been through. She's looking at me like, talk about that. But, but, and I think she's beautiful on the outside, but guys, there's a beauty that radiates from her to me of faithfulness and love and kindness and goodness and loyalty. There's a beauty on the inside that is greater. And Esther had it all. And God was preparing her the whole time to be that woman in front of this ungodly king for such a time as this to save her people. I think about Moses. People think, well, man, I'm too old. Oh, my goodness. He was 80 when he lived the dream. But he had preparation time, 40 years as a prince of Egypt. 
And he learned how to organize. He led troops. He led battles. He learned how to fight. He learned how to organize. He learned how to move people in mass. He was learning what he needed to learn. But what he didn't learn was some humility. What he didn't learn was compassion. So what does God do? After he leaves Egypt, he becomes a shepherd. He literally went from the penthouse to the outhouse. He went from living in the palace to living in the outhouse in a field. He went from being at the highest level of known society, a prince of Egypt, the greatest nation in the world at that time, greatest empire, to being at the lowest job that anybody would ever want, and that's a shepherd. And he did that for 40 years too. And he learned compassion and kindness. He learned that no job was too big and no job was too little. He learned how to, how to be how to be kind to people and how to love people, how to work, how to not take advantage of, of privilege. He learned humility. And for 80 years, God prepared him for one day that he saw that bush burning on that mountain. And he said, now you're ready, buddy. At 80 years old, he was finally ready. Do not think that delay is, is denial. Because sometimes the delay, because of our choices, we've delayed it. And God will put you right back on it when you submit to him, when you surrender. Sometimes it's preparation time. He's preparing you for the dream and the destiny that he has for you. And it's not easy. Let me tell you this. To be in God's perfect will is not easy. To be outside his will is awful. That's going to be horrible. That's going to be hurtful. You're going to be truly damaged out there. You're going to have to have God heal you to bring you back. But to be in his will, there's still going to be mountains. He still had to go face the greatest army in the world and the greatest kingdom in the world, Egypt. He had to do something that seemed impossible. Go demand from the Pharaoh to let the slaves go free. From a Pharaoh who knew him. From a Pharaoh who... who he was family with, but did not like him. He risked his life. Man, you got to be all out when you want to serve God and fulfill the destiny, purpose, dream that he has for you. you got to be all in and all out. And you have to have something different about you. Go ahead and put up Numbers 13, verse 26. This is the story where God told Moses, get 12 spies and send them into the promised land. And then have them come back and give a report. Here's the first 10. They all, 12 came back, but the first 10 said this. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Parah at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. They had, they had Moses said, bring back some of the fruit. They had... They had clusters of grapes they had to carry on poles. The grapes were so massive. The, the fruit they brought back was bigger, better, more delicious, more awesome than they'd ever seen and ever witnessed. So they brought back that fruit, and they gathered the whole congregation of people, and they began to speak. Next verse. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Like, it really is as awesome as you said, but there's a but. Go ahead. Next verse. Nevertheless, or but, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which are the giants. Next verse. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Man, every ite you can think of from mosquito bite to Canaanite lived there. And, and they talked about by the sea and the river because in the mountains and the valleys, they're covered. They're saying, this place, we can't come on the mountains. We can't come in the valleys. We can't cross over by the sea. We can't even cross the Jordan to get to them. They, they totally control this place. They outnumber us. They're big. They're strong. They're awesome. We can't do it. Next verse. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. What do you think was happening when they gave this report? The people started murmuring. Oh, my gosh, we can't do this. We, they said we can't do it. They, there's giants. There's people everywhere. There's fortified cities. They're bigger than us. They're larger than us. They have armies and warriors. and we're just, we're just, We just can't do it. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go. You see that in sports, let's go. They're like, let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go at once. Why? Because there's something different about them. Guys, every time you face a destiny decision, every time that's gonna be in relationships, jobs, places, where you go, if you're not following the Lord's leading, you're just doing things on your own, that's a destiny that you're making choices that are going to determine how you get to your destiny or if you ever get to it. But you, you're going to face obstacles, and your attitude towards those obstacles are going to determine whether you succeed or fail. Ten spies saw the obstacles and said, we're done, we're finished, there's no way. Two said, Let's, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to what? Overcome. They had an overcomer's attitude. I'm going to overcome this. We're all going to face opposition. We're all going to face issues. We're all going to face stuff. It's going to look impossible to go forward. It's going to feel impossible to go forward. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be giants. There's going to be armies. There's going to be things that look like fortified fortresses that we can't get through. But when you know God and you have a different attitude about things, when you see things through God's perspective and you see things to see things through God's word that says, I promise you this, I promise you that, you have a different attitude about it. You don't look at those obstacles and say, we can't. You look at those obstacles and say, with God, we can. With God, we can. I can overcome this hurt. I can overcome this pain. I can overcome betrayal. I can overcome the economy. I can overcome this and that and everything that's thrown at me. I can overcome it because we are well able because God is with us. They go on, and the, the ten spies rise up against them and say, no, we can't, no, we can't, no, we can't. And because Joshua and Caleb are saying, yes, we can, then they start spreading lies about them. They start spreading lies about Joshua and Caleb. They start murmuring and complaining and lying about them. This is what in the 70s we called a ghetto mentality. That every time someone tried to rise above the group, they would draw them back, pull them back down. It's like crabs in a bucket. When a crab starts to crawl up, the other crabs grab a hold of them, trying to crawl up with them, but inevitably they pull them back down in the bucket. 
And that's what happens when you try to rise above. Satan and his little cronies that are jealous, envious, don't like it. Don't like that you're different. Don't like that you have a different spirit on you. Don't like it that you have a boldness and a confidence that they don't have. They'll always reach and start lying about you, spreading rumors about you, talking about you. Just don't let them all be true. And when they're not, God, they try to grab you. They'll try to pull you back down. You won't let them. You'll rise above them. Why? Numbers 14. Chapter 14, verse 24. This is why. But my servant Caleb, because he has a what? Different what? There's something different about him. There's a different atmosphere about him. There's a different spirit on him. What spits capital S? That's the Holy Spirit. Because he has the presence of God around him, there's something different about Caleb. And there was something different about Joshua. Both of them. Him and his, him, it says, he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring, uh, I will bring it to the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Uh, he said, I'm going to bring him in the land where he went and, his, and he's going to have an inheritance to his children are going to inherit that land. That's what's going to happen because he had a different spirit. Listen, to fulfill the dream, destiny, and purpose of God, you have to have a different spirit about you. If you have the same old humdrums that everybody else has around you, you're not going to make it. If you have the same old humdrum attitude about marriage, about life, about this and about work and about finances and about all the things we have to face and do and work for, man, you're not going to make it. You're, all, you're either going to be down and out all the time or you're going to be criping and complaining unhappy all the time or you can choose to, to surrender. What did he say? His heart was with him fully. Because his heart was with him fully doesn't mean he was perfect. He just was committed. And because he was committed to God's plan, God surrounded him with his presence, and there was something different about Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two, them and their families, everybody above the age of 21 had to die in the wilderness because of they did this, and they, then they began to attack Moses and Joshua and Caleb. God defended them and said, Okay, you guys want to gripe and complain? You're going to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. You're all going to drop dead in that wilderness. And that's what happens to people who choose not to, not to have that overcoming spirit. They are, they're alive, but they're wandering around in the wilderness until they drop dead. They wander around. They don't live the dream. They see others living the dream. They see the dreams. But they don't ever live it. They wander around in a circle. They literally walked in a circle, guys, in the wilderness. They just walked in a circle. In a lot of people's lives, they're just walking in this circle out in this dry season, dry wilderness. It's Their life is dry because they will not and have not fully committed to God, and they will not let God lead them out of the wilderness to the promised land. Let's not be those people. Oh, I didn't hear many amens. I said, let's not be those people. Let's be the people who fully commit and say, God, man, when I'm dry, you said, come and drink. You'll, yeah, I don't have to live dehydrated in my spirit. I don't have to live dehydrated in my mind. I don't have to live a dehydrated, dried up life because you, are, you give me living water. You fill me up. I have a different spirit. I have, a, I have your presence. I have an overcomer's attitude. 
Everybody's going to face obstacles. How you face them and what perspective you have is going to determine whether or not you fulfill the will of God or you don't. Because it's all going to be difficult. There's no, there's no easy, quick fixes and easy passes. None, it doesn't exist in life. But there is destiny. There is purpose and there are blessings. There's those who dream and never see the dream. There's those who never dream because they, they're so miserable in their own minds and their own life, they don't even dream. And then there's those who dream and get to live the dream. God wants us to be the ones that dream and live the dream. Or you can choose to be miserable. You can choose to have the, the other side, the other perspective. Oh, everything's impossible. It's too big. It's too much. I can't do it. Let me just give you some information. You can't do it on your own. But with God, you can do it. If you just choose. Your choice. You have to choose it. You have to choose and make a decision. Caleb and Joshua chose. And because they chose, God said, okay, boys, you're going to get in on all the blessings and all the promises. Not only you, but you're going to leave an inheritance. Come on now. You're going to leave an inheritance. We talked about being bold last week. That in order to, to fulfill a dream, you have to be bold. There has to become a boldness. Joshua and Caleb had that different spirit, so they were bold. Oh, hold on. Be quiet. Stop complaining. Stop murmuring. We know where that always gets us. This ain't going the right direction. Let's go right now before we talk ourselves out of it. But because they didn't move, and they weren't as bold as Joshua and Caleb were, they failed to receive. Yet there's a boldness. And when you get the dream of God and you're determined, even if you don't know what it is, but you're determined to, to fully surrender to God and live for God, when you're determined, there's a boldness about you. And that boldness leads to intentional actions. You intentionally, when Julie and I wanted to bear the marriage, we intentionally invested. We bought books in areas we needed help in. I mean, it was very intentional. We went and had conversations with people about specific topics that we knew they had had success at. We were very intentional about the help we sought, the counsel we sought, the books we read. When you get, when you determine, I'm going to fully follow God, your actions are going to be bolder and that the fact they're going to be intentional, they're going to be goal-oriented, you're going to set goals and you're going to start fulfilling them. And you're not going to be afraid to start small. You're just going to start. Wherever, it, wherever you're at, you just start. The Bible says don't forsake the day of small beginnings. You start where you're at and with what you have. And you're going to develop a different mindset. You're going to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you're going to realize i got to be fully committed and start living my life like an act of worship. That how I sleep, when I sleep, how I work, my attitude during the day is, is either worshiping God or denying God's existence in my life. And so I'm going to start with my attitude. And I'm going to start worshiping God with a good attitude and with an overcoming spirit. And then I'm going to read the word, and he's going to change my stinking thinking to kingdom blessing thinking. And I'm not going to be a fool. I'm going to be a wise person. 
Then I'm going to start practicing courage because courage is like a muscle. It takes courage to say I'm sorry. It takes courage to say I'm wrong. It takes courage to evaluate your life and say, without beating yourself up and say, man, I need to grow in these areas. I'm immature. I'm selfish. I'm this. Without beating yourself down, just it takes courage to face that and overcome it and say, I'm going to intentionally fix this. We practice courage. And like I said, courage is like a muscle. The more you practice it, the more courage you'll have, the stronger you get. The next thing is God wants us to be tenacious. Go with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus decided one day that he needed to teach on this. It says this, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day Jesus taught. One day he said, I need to teach you something, guys, because you're going to need this. He taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. He shared with them this illustration. He shared with them a parable, an illustration, a story about never, never stop praying and never give up. You're going to have to be tenacious. Tenacious people have that, mm, I'm never going to quit attitude. They're patient, they're persistent, and they're passionate. I'm going to say it again. They're patient, persistent, and passionate. They will not quit. Let me tell you when you have a God dream, when that dream won't leave you alone. When it won't, it just won't leave you alone. You keep thinking about it. Every time somehow you keep thinking, man, I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing, uh, every time. It will, it will not leave you alone. It will persistently pursue you. The dream will be tenacious, and then you have to become tenacious. And begin to pursue it. You have to begin to set goals and, and, and systems in place that will, that will improve your health, improve your life, improve your thinking. And that will lead to another quality that you're going to have to have, and that's resiliency. Resilient people have the ability to bounce back from difficult situations because you're going to fail. And you're going to face difficulty. And you're not always going to handle it right. But you have the ability to seek God and say, God, I'm, I fell, but I'm falling forward. I'm not falling backwards. I'm going forward. So I ask you to forgive me and then help me bounce back from my own choices, someone else's choices, whatever the situation is. Help me bounce back. Because resilient people can bounce back quickly. They bounce back. Resiliency does not mean you won't have any problems and that they'll always go away, but it gives you the ability to see past it. You can see past the problem. Resilient people can see past it. I've said before, I told my daughter, your greatest quality that I see in her right now is not only is she kind and sweet, but the greatest quality I see in her is that she's resilient. She's resilient. She's gone through mean girls and people making fun of her for this and that and everything else. And man, I tell you, she'll get in trouble with mom and dad, mostly with mom. And uh, uh, th negative things will happen. Uh, negative things will happen. And because she's my princess, she's my little girl, so she don't get as much trouble with me. But, but, and, but. In five minutes, the next day, she got a smile on her face. She got a pep in her step and a glide in her stride. She's just happy. She has. She's greatly resilient. I told her that and made her look it up. And she's like, Dad, that's a really good quality. I said, that's right, and that's you. I said, never lose that because you'll need that all your life. People who fulfill the destiny dreams and, of God, they're resilient. Caleb and Joshua had to walk 40 years in the desert and see everybody over 21 that they ever knew die and buried. 
And they had to bounce back from that. Let me say it again. They saw probably a million people die and be buried. And they had to bounce back from that. Resilient people have a bounce back quality. They're like Jesus. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw beyond the cross. He saw beyond the punishment. He saw beyond death and saw us. He saw us today. He saw us being saved. Man, resilient people can see beyond the problem and see beyond it and see the future. Mm. They also understand who God is. You know, the Bible says to have true faith in God, you only have to believe two things, that he is who he says he is. He is the one and only, almighty, awesome creator of the universe, God, Daddy, Father, Abba, God. He's that. The second thing, this is all faith is. The second thing is that he's a rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Of those who diligently seek him. Not casually, not occasionally, not coming to church every once every three weeks, not, not making it a priority, not reading your Bible when you just feel like it or when you're in trouble. I'm talking, he said, those who diligently, consistently pursue me, I will reward you openly and generously. Everybody will see my reward on your life. But you got to be diligent. You got to be diligent and resilient. Let me share this with you too about that. That God said in Psalms 118.24, this is a day that I have made, so rejoice and be glad in it. Man, resilient people treat every day as a new opportunity. They treat it as a precious gift from God and a new opportunity. You can't change the past, but what you do right now will impact the future. And they treat every new day like, I cried last night, but man, it's the next day. This is precious to me. It's a gift from God, and it's a new opportunity to dry my tears and make different decisions in different situations and to move forward and to change my tomorrow. That's how resilient people act. That's how they, that's how they move forward. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build each other up. Man, God warns against husbands and wives tearing down their own households. It's not some outside source. It's the people in the house. And it says you're foolish to tear down your husband. You're foolish to tear down your wife. You're foolish. He says a wise woman builds up her husband. A wise man builds up his wife. There's a difference between foolishness and wisdom and, it, and a lot of it comes down to who you hang out with. Proverbs 13, 20 says, A wise person hangs out with the wise. And foolish people hang out with fools. You know, God's not real complicated. It's simple. You hang out with people that are healthy, you're going to be healthier. You hang out with people that are unhealthy, you're going to be unhealthy. You hang out with people that operate in wisdom, it's going to rub off on you. And you're going to get wiser. You hang out with people that are foolish, it's going to rub off on you, and you're going to get more foolish. You know, and this this is not husbands and wives. I'm not talking about that. But guys, there's unhealthy relationships in your life that you need to say goodbye to. The Bible says in Psalms 1, don't hang out with the scoffers, the mockers, and the fools, the people that are running to evil. He expressly warns, 
Do not sit with them. Do not talk with them. Do not hang out with them. Say, no, I'm not hanging out with you. Some of you need to say bye to some relationships and say yes to some new ones that are healthier. People with healthy relationships, I already said it, they live longer. They have, and the reason they do is because they have less stress. Listen, if you have stress in your marriage, guess what? You need to go look in the mirror because you're causing it. Go stand next to each other and hold hands and look and go, we're causing each other stress. It's not, you can't, it's not the devil. The devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. It's not your mama, it's my mom. No, it's you. You could say no to your mom. You could tell mom, be quiet, stay out of my marriage. I've done it. With my mom and Julie's mom. You ain't getting in our marriage. And thank God they don't. Told some of our family members. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We don't let unhealthy people come between us. There's a no. If you don't like it, get well, I'm choosing God, choosing my marriage over every other relationship that I have in my life. That's called wisdom. You want to be a fool? Don't do that. You'll tear down your own house. Tear up your kids. You'll send a different legacy. If you want to be wise, hang out with the wise. If you want to be a fool? Hang out with fools. Man, man. Healthier. You live longer. Less stress. You live. Listen, people who have healthy relationships live with a greater sense of purpose. And here's another thing. They have someone who holds them accountable when they're wrong, who supports them when they're hurt. And I'm not talking about every time they cry. Listen, I've raised six kids. I know the cry. I know the hurt cry and the cry that I'm just pouting or complaining or, you know, my little baby feelings are hurt. Listen, uh, those kind of cries, we don't react to. Now, with the first one, every time they cried, we thought it was the end of the world. And then you realize it's not. And so after a while, you just learn, you know, you learn to hear the difference. When you're a friend and you have people around you that are healthy, they'll know the difference between having to tell you, hey, suck it up. That's what we tell our kids. Suck it up. If you're not, get up. Rub some dirt in it. Keep moving. Right? But then there's other times I've heard my kids cry. I've sat across them when they're little, and I've sat across them as adults. And they've looked me in the eye and cried, and it's a different type of cry. It's a type of cry that wants to make me put my arms around and tell them, I'm here for you, I love you, and we hold each other up. When you're in healthy relationships, you have people that do that for you. You have people that when you're down, they, they come alongside of you, and they, they pick you up and say, come on. I'll carry you if that's what you need me to do for a while. That's healthy. In order to have that, you have to be that. In order to have those relationships, you need to be that for somebody else. You can't always be the one that needs to be carried. You have to be the one that's willing to carry. 
You hold each other accountable. You support each other. Those are the things that we need. And then you give each other counsel. You give each other godly counsel. Let me, you give each other godly, wise counsel. If it's your opinion, you state it. Hey, this is just my opinion. You need to follow. I tell people all the time, listen, this is my opinion, but you got to follow God in your life because I don't have to live with your choice. But if you're asking my opinion, here's my opinion about that situation and what I think you should do. Now, if I've got the Word of God on it, I just quote the Word. The Word of God says this. So you get to choose. You're going to follow the wisdom of God or you're going to follow the wisdom of fools. God's Word is always wise. It's always the best option. I didn't say it was the option that didn't hurt or wasn't hard. I just said it's the best option. Because every decision you make could have some hurt and could be hard. But I'd rather do it with God on my side than God opposing me. Leave you with this. Jesus ended his life with this statement. It is finished. God wants us to be great finishers. You could start off badly, but if you finish good, my goodness. I used to watch track. I, like, I ran track, and I used to like watch, watch the quarter milers and the milers. I never ran past the 200 meters. I was not going to do it because it hurts when you run past that. And so, but I would watch these guys, and I would see some of them. Man, they take off the quarter miles just one time around the track, and they're booking. You see this guy booking. And he comes around, especially in junior high, because they all, they all think, I'm going to get out fast. And so they don't know how to run the, that race. And so they get out, and they hit that next curve. And it, we called it the monkey getting on your back. But it was like five monkeys would get on them. And then they looked like they were running in slow motion. It's like they were running real fast. And then they just like, uh, uh. And then you see this other person who was behind, just, just standing, coming, coming. And they would just blow right by them. And finish strong. It's not how you start. How you finish is even more important. It's even more important. Paul said, I ran my race. I ran my course. I finished my, my, my life. I did what God called me to do. He didn't speak for you or me. He spoke for himself, but he set an example. He set an example. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. God expects us to be finishers. If you're not a finisher, he'll have to teach you how because he won't give you the destiny, the dream. He won't give you the whole plan till he knows that you'll finish it. So he's going to have to develop some perseverance in you, creating you to be a finisher so he can trust you with the whole dream, the whole plan. And you get to not only dream it, but you get to live it. Nothing better in life than to dream dreams and see them to come to pass. Nothing better in life than that. God promised each one of us that. Listen, every eye closed. If you're in here right now or listening online, thank you for joining us online, whether it's live today or later in the week. We thank you for being there. But even more importantly, those in this room, if you're not right with this God that has a plan and a purpose for you, he didn't make the choices that your parents made. He gave them a chance. His wisdom's crying in the street. His wisdom's everywhere, on every planet, or every, every nation, on every continent on the planet, every people group. His wisdom is speaking. Whether they have the Bible or not, his wisdom is speaking. 
says his wisdom cries, that she cries in the street. Wisdom's referred to as a female because the reason is, is because when God created Eve, she was supposed to help. So he refers to wisdom as a female because his wisdom's designed to help us. Not make us make decisions, help us make decisions. Help guide and direct our decisions. Wisdom's speaking to you right now by his word and by his spirit. And saying this to you, if you have not surrendered your life to God, you'll always be the man that might act tough on the outside, but is so insecure on the inside. You might even be tough on the outside, but you'll still be insecure on the inside. Or you'll be the woman who maybe acts bold, but knows when you get alone with your thoughts that you don't really know who you are. Or you might be the person that's so, you see no value in yourself at all. Can I say something to you? That's not the truth about you. The truth is this. Regardless of what choices you've made so far, others made to hurt you, to do to you, whatever. You have a choice right now. Here's the truth. To surrender to God and turn everything around for your good, even the hurt. He'll turn even the hurt around for your good because he'll use it to help others. He'll use it to help you overcome and to teach others to overcome. He'll turn all of your, your bad choices and other people's bad choices. But you have to surrender. That means you surrender every part of your life to him. It's like, God, every part of my life I trust you with because I know you have a plan. And I want to be fully committed. Well, I don't know how to be fully committed. Well, he'll teach you if you'll just commit with what you have right now. What you can do right now is fully commit to what you can and then, and then submit to God and let him teach you how to be fully committed in every area of your life. You have to start somewhere surrendering. So whether you're up and out or down and out, if you've never surrendered your whole life to God, can I say something to you? You're not saved. If you've prayed before, uh, raised in church, but you never surrendered your life completely to Him, you're still doing your own thing. You're not His. You'll say, Lord, Lord, I did this in Your name. And He'll say, I never knew You. But He doesn't want to say that. He wants to save your life in this life and the one to come. He wants to show you his goodness in this life and his mercy in the one to come. But it's your choice. If you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Maybe you've prayed and you were committed and you ran away, fell away, walked away, whatever. But you're not the same. Your relationship with him is dry. It's not the same. You're not the same. You're, you're not committed to him the way you were. And you just need to come home. Whether it's your first time or your next time. Right now is the time to pray. If that's you online, send us a message. I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. I don't care if it's next Wednesday. You're watching this. Send us a message in this room. 
On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and publicly confess, I need to get right with God, and I'm going to. And then right where you're seated, seated, and right where you're at online, we'll pray all together. So here we go. Online, send the message in here. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. It's my turn, my time. All right, put those hands down. That's awesome. Thank you. God bless you for that, your decision. Let's all pray now with those in this room and those online. Everybody say this together. God, I believe you are God and God alone. I believe that you're a rewarder of those who diligently, seriously seek you. I seek you today. And I say this to you. I believe you love me and created me with a purpose. And I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. You raised him from the dead so I could live that purpose. And because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I surrender all I have to you. Teach me how to live for you, how to live life, life to the full, the plan, the dream you have for me and those around me. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray, so be it. Amen. Come on. Let's thank God for how good He is. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.